You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Speaking of the debate, did y'all see that fly? <laughs> 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 I just had to say it. I had to say it. All the memes that immediately came out after that, and the fact that Biden had uh, uh, what is it? Something against fly the flies spotted. or fly, fly spotted. Spotted. Like, <laughs> It was. It was. I also just saw something today, um, and I have a, a deep love for Obama. Not a perfect man by any means, but have a deep love and respect. Um, he was in an interview, and a fly kept landing on him, and so he stopped the interview, and he. Mm, killed it on himself <laughs> mm, smacked it off right but he wasn't gonna let a fly just walk around on him like that's all i'm saying okay obama didn't do it <laughs> he was clearly alive and felt things <laughs> that's all i'm saying <laughs> like right like i don't see the undead i don't know it's october <laughs> weirder things have happened this year <laughs> Is he the undead? <laughs> I don't, you know what I'm saying? Um, okay. <laughs> so, yes, I just getting back to voting for two seconds, there are absolutely a lot of blocks to it. And, like, my mom and I actually, we both got uh, ballots. One, I, I always do absentee because um, I never know where I'm going to be, and I still vote in Pennsylvania, and sometimes I live in New York, and sometimes I live in L.A., and sometimes I live in Vancouver. Who knows? Um, so I got absentee. My mom got mail-in. We filled them out and we sat there and we checked each other's things just to make sure, like, did I sign everything? Is everything good? Like, double, triple check. Make sure that we put it in the secrecy envelope because that's a big thing, too. I guess people forget and send in naked ballots and they get squashed. So don't do that. Tell your friends. Um, <laughs> but after we did that, we actually just took it in person just to make sure just to drop it off. And it's so great. And PA, I don't know if this is true everywhere, but in PA, uh, we get an email saying your ballot has been received and recorded and it's all good. So I don't have to sit here like wondering, but I was like refreshing every day to be like, when are they going to send it? When are they sending it? Send it already. <laughs> Because I I I feel also that that pressure and nervousness of I want to make sure that it gets in there right I don't we've heard all this talk about the USPS they were attacking it clearly 150 percent attacking it trying to dismantle it so that it wasn't able to do the job necessary in order to have everybody's voices heard so I feel that um, another thing so I wanted to kind of go back around to um, just kind of again, the divide and um, where we all sit on it. So Jay had talked a little bit about his um, background. And again, I thank you for sharing all of that um, about, you know, Southern conservative, um, I think Christian, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tanya, are there people in your movie that represent that um, demographic? Absolutely. Okay. And I think that was a fun for me is that I wanted to, if I didn't have a character that did it, I wanted to mention as many groups as possible. Now my, my editor is, is, is a South Korean. And she was like, where's the Asian person in my movie? I was like, Oh, I didn't do it. Yes. Yes. Um, so, okay. Here's my question though. You probably can't tell me. Are they the good guy or the bad guy? Are they mentioned in any way that would put them on one side or the other? 
Um, I guess I don't look at the world and good and bad. Mm. Um, and I tried not to make a judgment of the people in my storytelling. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it would be really up to you. And honestly, I feel like very much this story was my attack on progressives. <laughs> me going, come on, progressives, like y'all are ineffective. And, mm. you know, really, that's what I made it for to say uh, you're delusional <laughs> and ineffective. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the cancel culture nature around what the progressives are doing i think is detrimental to finding a middle (laughs) ground i mean like a friend of mine has been pretty much canceled because of some things that he said and did in the past and he's he's aware of it and he's doing everything that he can to educate himself and to fight back what he's done and i've been called out for some racist rhetoric of mine online and Thank God it's not gotten as much media coverage as my friends has, but it's, um, I think we, uh, I'm trying to hold space for those that have made mistakes and not cancel them and give them the opportunity, you know, the Christian thing to do, the forgiveness thing, the, uh, the come back into the fold thing that we are taught as Christians um, to do. Uh, so I'm finding myself uh, really, uh, I'm being... Uh, <laughs> being challenged really hard right now with cancel culture. (laughs) I agree with you completely. I think it's just not so smart. I mean, if anything, it can recruit for the other side, you Mm. know, it's like, well, those people don't embrace me. You know, look what they did to me. They're not as nice as they say. Maybe I need to look at other groups of people to support me. Right. So then, you know, what are we doing exactly? Right. And we are communal beings. We are created that way. It's in our biology. We are not islands. We, even if we wanted to be, there's no way in our society, unless you lived completely off grid and was self-sustainable in your own little space, <laughs> like you are going to affect other human beings, right? Everything that you do is going to do that. Tanya, I see well, you. I, I, I'm not asking anybody how they're voting, but I like to point this out a lot. Um, because I think it's a fact that most people don't know. I didn't know it until I read Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, this year. And it mm. is that since the uh, Johnson signed um, civil rights in 1968, no Democrat has gotten the majority of the white vote in America. Period. Wow. 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 Yes. There's your sign. <laughs> an idea of what a one issue election is is this really the one issue right that is that's always an interesting concept to me of like uh, there's one thing in my heart as a Christian or as a whoever whatever demographic I'm in that I just like can't abide and so I'm going to let all this other bad stuff or stuff that I don't agree with come in because of this one issue. Right. And Jay, you were just talking about like practice what you preach and like what is actually Christian. And I know that you had expressed concern over the kind of what you feel is the false representation of what Christianity is and the, you know, Republican regime. Um, (laughs) Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, What's funny is uh, my dad is a Trump supporter. He'd voted for him in the last election. And we hopped on the phone the other day and 
was like, so um, how we feeling, Dad? Trump has COVID now, huh? And he's like, oh, it's all fake news. I'm like, okay, Dad. You're one of the more Christian people that I know, and now you were saying the deliverer of it's all fake news is now fake news. You're going to have to come to terms with that. So are you voting for him now? Is like, who is the fake news? Is, is, is it Fox? Is it, so it's just this, the Christian thing has me freaked out. I saw a lovely article that was about, um, conservative evangelicals that are pro-life or supporting Biden. And I was like, I'm going to reshare that. I'm going to reach like I'm trying to find anything and everything that is Christian related because I know that I have so many Christian friends and family back home in Texas that will be voting mm-hmm. for Trump because they're holding Bibles in front of churches after they tear gas peaceful protesters. You know, so I'm, I'm trying to find mm-hmm. anything and everything that I can to like convince them that Trump is not the evangelical Christian way. He's sure. simply not. And sure. I wonder and. Uh-huh. About that, I was just reading an article this morning about how when Roe v. Wade was passed, none of the Christian and evangelical leaders cared. Their issue had always been Brown v. Board of Education, but that was considered racist. And so after Roe v. Wade, and it wasn't for six years after Roe v. Wade that they actually jumped on pro-life. But this article was saying, really, the issue is integration, but that's not PC. So we can stay on pro-life, and that's more PC to be the beard for what we really are upset about. It's an amazing strategy. Amazing. Wow, wow, wow. That's disconcerting. (laughs) (laughs) I learned something so important just now. Thank you for Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. But so many... Friends ahead, and family Jay. of mine, females, friends, family. I I know a lot of women in my life that have had abortions and they have them to make their lives better and then shit on everyone that has, you know, it's like, mm. it's the practice what you preach thing. It's the get the abortion yeah. so that your life is not upturned, but then let's talk badly and not support it going forward in life. And that's, it's this, this, <laughs> this weird disconnect. Yes. But, yes. you know, but when there is such a dis- disconnect, maybe it's time for us, every time we feel that disconnect, maybe look to tear off a beard. Because then it means, <laughs> actually, that's not it. Actually, right. that's snatching not snatching beards over here. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> okay, Megan. Yes, like honey. That. Take it off. Um, Take off a beard. Know. I like that. That's We need to mean that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I, uh, you know, when we were talking about this, Jay, just about like, how can conservatives be so on the Republican side? I started doing a little bit of research into it. And, you know, again, it's hard to do any research now, especially using Google. Um, but I did find some books and I feel like if it's a book, <laughs> like maybe, maybe. Oh, no, I'm gonna have to stop now. The Powell Manifesto <laughs> in 1977. Um, I think his name was Alan Powell. He became a judge on the federal judiciary and he wrote uh, this manifesto to all of his Republican conservative friends. And what the complaint was that was that American universities were graduating all of these students who were anti-American and that they were anti-Vietnam. 
Hmm. And so they said, we have enough money, we have enough power that we must use that to write books that um, promote our values, to make sure that we have a news media that promotes our values and to, for every book that they write, for every commenter they have, we need to put two out there espousing our values and our point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> we'll take this with a grain of salt then as we do with almost everything these days. But um, I did find it was interesting. I was like, okay, are, are conservative Christians like really mostly for Trump? And what I was finding in my research is that, uh, so it says, while 52% of lower income white conservative Protestants voted Democratic in the 1990s, 90% of lower income Afro-American, which why are we Afro-American? Anyway, Afro-American Protestants did. So the distinction there is that it's white conservative Christians, not conservative Christians because mm-hmm. as a whole, right? right. Like the, uh, the race then is the other dividing factor within this demographic because it was 90% one year and then 96 the next year and the white people dropped from 50 to 22% voting for Democrat, right? So that's even another like further divide that's been growing and growing based on race. And to me, that was just interesting because here's an example of people who believe, we would think, a similar thing, read the same text, essentially, yet politically are super divided, right? So it's a- Yeah, I never... Go ahead, sorry. I never understood why my church was all white people and the church down the street was all black people. It, it really, this like red and yellow, black and white thing, or precious in his, like <laughs> right. the songs I was singing were not matching my experience. So yeah. like that makes complete sense to me. <laughs> right, right, right. What were you going to say, Megan? Well, I was going to say like, uh, you know, I don't know how many people, you know, cause I grew up Catholic. Um, and how many people do you know that have read the Bible all the way and have actually studied it? It's not a major portion of the believers, right? So then is it about the book or is it about who's talking to them every Sunday? Is it who's talking to them every dinner that they eat around a table? Mm -hmm. I think so much is about influences. I think a lot of it's about the television these days and about the internet. You know, it's really just, I don't think it's about the book. I don't think it's about the religion at all. I don't think the influencers are coming from there. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, I have read that book and, you know, I have people in my family, like I have an aunt that I love who's a Jehovah's Witness and their Bible is very specific. And so I sometimes want her to look at my Bible, but her religion doesn't allow her to read my Bible. (laughs) <laughs> she can't even look at my Bible to see how I'm getting something different from hers. Wow. 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 Sounds like America. <laughs> like if you like Trump, you can only like Fox news and you can't get it from CNN. I've had so many people jump in my comments. If I repost something from like NBC, MSNBC or whatever. And they're like, that's a fake news thing. And I was like, is it the whole network really? Or like, is this one segment maybe have some truth to it? Could you maybe re- look at it? And they're like, well, I didn't watch it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, could you actually take a second? Do you know what I mean? Like, 
if we can actually start hearing the other side, we might maybe find that there's more that connects us than not. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't want to, it doesn't want to, it doesn't want to connect us. I mean, you know, what they're saying is that the algorithm just likes things that make you irritated and annoyed and sort of aggressive. <clears throat> and that's generally the, the negative things. So the algorithm is just trying to keep us posting and attacking and attacking and attacking. And, 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 you know, in a in one of those documentaries, the people who created that stuff said that they found themselves becoming addicted and that they do not allow their children to use any of the platforms that they participated in making because they realize this addictive quality and this addictive quality to our worst impulse. Mm. And that there's there's really no guidelines on how social media works or the algorithms work. We haven't gotten to that place yet. Like there's there well, there's really the guideline for the algorithm is what is going to get my third party advertiser more right. attention. No ethical guidelines. <laughs> I, like there's no there's no across the board. Like the government isn't in any way saying like hey because this is overwhelmingly bad for people. I gotta say this. I started thinking this week that capitalism is a god. I don't know if anybody's read Neil Gaiman's American Gods, but capitalism no. is a god. And like, I believe all gods are neutral. The god of capitalism doesn't care if you're good or bad or conservative or Baptist or Christian or Muslim. All it cares about is, are you upholding the principles of my religion, which is make more money, extract more money, make more money. So no matter who you are or what you believe or what your gender or what your race, if you're upholding that, then you are upholding capitalism. And I think if anything, capitalism is the religion of America. <laughs> I would agree with that. And I have to say, I, I have had a major education since meeting my husband who grew up in communism. And he is always talking about how he thought it was great that they censored everything when he was growing up. Mm. And I was like, what, what, what? Censorship is against the arts. You know, and I, I, we have these horrible discussions about it. But in some ways, the, the regulation at that time was trying to protect people from these negative impulses. There are other mm. reasons for it. There was a lot of propaganda and we all understand. But he said, listen, you know, the experiences that I had in my life nourished so many of my positive sides, you know, and I wasn't exposed to any of these things. And he watches the kids going through so many terrible challenges with, the, you know, this irritation and aggression that is nurtured. You know, we don't want censorship, but what would those regulations be if we were going to regulate the algorithm? You know, what is what is the opposite of making money the goal? Because that's what capitalism is. So that, like, what's the next system? You know, mm -hmm. is that about morality and who decides? That's the scary Who decides? Part. That's that's really important too. And and I think, you know, as you were saying, Tanya, about capitalism being a god, it's like, okay, the Christian god, right? Like in the Old Testament, I always find this interesting because I have read the Bible. It's been a minute. But the Old Testament is just so stunningly different than the New Testament like in in that the old testament they talk about like the fear of god and in a, a vengeful god and like those kinds of words that i was like whoa 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 this is like and i guess it depends on your translation as well but i do remember even when i was younger being taught about you know this powerful god that he loves you but he's also gonna like 
send you into the desert for 40 years or whatever. You know what I mean? See, like, and, and like, he's God. Okay. So I guess he should be able to do that. But then it's like, who are we mean God in our political system? Like, are we really saying that any man at all ever or woman or any human in general is infallible enough to be made a God that we don't question them, right? And that we allow them to rule in the way that the fearful, the God that we are to fear should do, right? So it's like the difference between ruling as a fearful God with an iron fist, like, you know, a dictator or an authoritarian or whatever is trying to do, or ruling like Jesus, who did everything by example, right? Yes, he said like, you should or should not do these things. But in general, he was like, I'm showing up I'm physically informed to show you, like, this is the example. This is how things should look. This is how things should be. You should be kind to each other. We are including people now. <laughs> you know, like, it feels like, a to me, it feels very different, you know? And it's like, are we then creating, because I've heard people say, like, well, whoever the leader of America is, is chosen by God. And I was like. But there are people, there are religions that believe that. And not only do they believe that, but they believe that the father of the house is also an emissary of God. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, he, his word is the law. And so that if you are a poor or an, an addict or something, then you clearly didn't have the right father figure in front of you. And so whatever happened to you, you deserve it because you did not receive the correction that came directly from God through that father figure. Mm. Which I don't, I don't feel matches what we learn in the New Testament of, hey, let me, don't stone this whore. She deserves to live. <laughs> you know, like, don't, don't hurt this person who can't walk or like, you don't, like Jesus's example was very different, I feel like, than maybe what's being glommed onto right now is the concept of like ruling with an iron fist and that there are appointed leaders from God on high. Jay, do you have thoughts about this? Yeah, I think fear-mongering is like how the Republican Party thinks they're going to win. Is that If they can mm -hmm. stoke as much fear into the American people that like the Black Lives Matter movement isn't about police. It's actually about they want to come in and tear down your cities. They want to loot and they want to pillage and they're like, uh, <laughs> they're, they're skewing us away from the actual matter that like lives are at stake and that we have a system that is very based on racist ideals and the white the white people don't want to do that because the military industrialized complex is a thing that's been going forever we go into other countries we loot and we pillage we mm. kill their people we take mm. their land capitalism you know it, that's that's what it's been and then our soldiers come back onto our own lands and they are uneducated and they've only been taught how to be in battle and so now they're on our police forces so they were they were in our other lands raping and pillaging and killing and now they've come back here and the only way that they can survive is to then be on our own streets and instead of protecting and serving they're actually treating our citizens like the enemy <laughs> and so that's that's where we are right now and so it's just fear stoking it's fear mongering and the mainstream media makes this point of trying to make you afraid of Black people. For instance, we hear more news about gun violence in Chicago than any other city. Chicago is not even in the top 30 most violent cities for gun violence. But you get all this news about it because it's a city, because it's a predominantly Black city. 
and you hear very little about quote unquote white on white violence. Violence is a function of who's in your community. People rob, kill people that they live near. We are a segregated nation. So 85% of white people are killed by white people because they live in the same community. And because violence by white people against white people or police against white people is not elevated, white people don't realize the danger that police are causing them. They're killing white people too. They're not just killing black people. They're killing white people too. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I just, I just always go back to like <laughs> mass shootings, which like, Oh my God, I get like, and now I'm thinking about like, what's the news cycle been like? Have we heard of any recently? Well, what, what's interesting that's not in the news cycle is that they just disrupted this um, coup this to overthrow state governments. And right. no one just the has said anything about that. They were going to no. overthrow state governments. Yeah. The House has been silent on that. It's unbelievable. Uh-huh. <laughs> Except it's not, just like your movie, Tanya. <laughs> it was far-fetched at one point, and now it's just actual reality. Yeah. Woo! Okay, so, okay. I want to end this on some kind of positive note. <laughs> Look, there are there is massive upheaval right now, but I, th- I always believe that with the upheaval, with the discomfort, with stepping into the gray and into the unknown, into the unknown. Okay, we all now have the opportunity to create something better, different, new, whatever, you know, or to mend something or to whatever it is. I think we have that opportunity or it's coming. It might not come in the nicest way, but it is available to us, perhaps. Um, so, Jay, Megan, do you have any final thoughts? What, you know, what helped you not feel overwhelmed, hopeless, helpless, whatever it is in this very crazy, tumultuous time? Um, The only thing that I can do on most days is simply be kind to everyone around me and seek out interactions with people that I have never met before and offer the same. Love that. that actually, I think, will be the most powerful source is just mm. opening my own doors more and more and more and continuing to have interactions that I think help. Yeah. That's it. I love that. Jay? Yeah. Uh, that's really great, Megan. <laughs> um, and it's true. And and you guys have provided that for us here today. I mean... Thank you, Marissa. Thank you, Tani. Thank you, Sierra, yeah. for giving us this platform to have these like hard conversations and to, like re- really dive deep into what it is to be an American in today's world. Um, I'm just trying to be an artist, and I know that our industry right now is also um, being torn apart a bit, um, especially by our black friends that are saying, actually, this hasn't worked and this hasn't worked and this hasn't worked. And um, I'm, I'm trying my best to not only uh, listen, sit back and listen and learn, but then to, to be active. Um, and so uh, instead of giving in to what my family usually does, which is stay quiet and be nice and just sit back and don't do nothing, you know, uh, that's not, that's not getting us anywhere. And so um, 
to, to create. Well, it's getting art. us somewhere. Just, yeah. I don't know if it's where we want to go. <laughs> there you go. So, to, to create art and to elevate voices that are underrepresented, that's that's where I am. That's where my uh, energy is right now. And I feel like that that's the only way to go forward. Um, Marissa and I have had that conversation a lot uh, in the last nine months about what it means to elevate and amplify underrepresented voices. And so that that's my task and it's keeping me positive and it's keeping me um, energized. I did want to say one quick yeah. thing, if that's okay. Um, I, I sat in on um, Stuart K. Robinson had an amazing webinar um, the other day and he talked about race in America and how a lot of our school systems from the get-go, literally from pre-K, <laughs> started just, you know, not, not implementing what really occurred in our history in those textbooks. And he did a really interesting um, thing where he asked us questions and the whole entire webinar would vote on the answers. And you saw just how little people knew. And one of the questions that was... I mean, it, it was very surprising for me was how many U.S. presidents at one point or another had owned a slave. And they gave us a list of numbers. And a lot of people picked one, two, four, and it was really 18. And, and he said, let this show you that everything that you learned, middle school, high school in your textbooks were coming through those point of views. They were coming through the point of views of people that did it themselves, that did not think that what they were doing was even an issue. They thought this was just the way to life. And one of the questions that I asked Stuart was, well, then what can I do when I send my son, Jesse Daniel, to school? Because right now, of course, I know how to implement non-bias and teach him about microaggression and things that maybe I realized, like Jay said, like there's a lot of things that you don't even realize, right? But when you start opening your eyes even more, it's like, wow, okay, now I can turn this corner. I can recognize this. Now I can teach my son this. But the question is, is what about when they go to school? Who's going to change these things in the textbooks? Who's going to make sure that when we put our kids in first and second and third grade, when they're a sponge, that we don't have the same type of teachings. And I just thought that that question within itself may just strike a lot of positivity. If we can get more parents on board to really be more active in what their child is learning in school. And Stuart gave us a list of textbooks that we can go out and purchase and start implementing when they do go to school. And it's Which, like, okay, well, how many parents have that? How many parents oh, have right, this list of books? Right. And that gets us back to capitalism because <laughs> the largest group of textbooks in the nation are purchased by Texas. And so the education we get is the education that has been approved and is purchased in large quantities by the Texas educational system. And in some of the Texas textbooks, they in some of them, they list the slaves as, you know, assets on a thing. But in some of them, they talk about these happy employees, employees who they don't mention didn't get paid. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not how that works. <laughs> yes. Well, one thing I can say about who is going to change the curriculum, it won't be Bessie DeVos. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
So let's get someone new in there, guys. Go out and vote. Use your voice, Sweeney. It starts with the kids. It starts with your school systems. And like, even if you guys like speak to your high school friends or college friends and you guys see something in your textbooks, like say something. My sister's a New Jersey school teacher and she's already reported several things to her commission because she's noticed Mm -hmm. things in the textbook that shouldn't be there. Like that's where we need to speak up. We need to speak up in the school system. See something. Yeah. Say something, say something. Yeah, I also go. want to just say one thing. You know, I have a very good friend, and he's his whole he's from Tennessee, and his whole point of view is, "Hey, I know that we're all focused on the national election, but most of the changes to regular people's lives happen at the local level. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you know what's going on locally, and yeah. who to choose for local elections? Don't forget that either, because mm-hmm. the most likely changes to the textbooks will be from local government." Your this is very board. true. You can be on your school board if you have a kid in the school system. Yep. Exactly. Get, get active. I love that. And I, I just want to say to uh, Marissa and Jay and Megan, I loved your responses to this question just because there was an active component to each of them. Right. And that is really the difference, I think, that I'm seeing with a lot of um my liberal friends and also just like my white friends who were like, Oh, like, I'm not mean. I don't think these things, I don't do these things, but, but it's about action. You have to actually participate in the things that you feel or believe or think, right. Or the things that you've learned, you have to participate in them. Like even just saying like, you know, I I try to be kind to people, but I go outside. What you said is I'm going outside of the people that I normally would interact with because I want to be kind to everyone. I want to be intentional about reaching out to people outside because that's what it takes. We have been intentionally divided in this country, in my opinion, and also facts, but um, we have been intentionally (laughs) divided. And so it's going to take intentional action to mend that divide. So thank you all so much for joining us. This has been a lovely, lovely conversation. Thank you all for coming back. Some of you, I love that. We appreciate you. Um, we will be on again next Saturday at 5 p.m. Who do we got next week, Marissa? Kelly Leung and John Rua. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Come on. It's going to be a really interesting conversation. Look, we do have an Asian person, Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop. I love Telly. I love Telly. Okay. Um, uh, thank you all again, and we will see Thanks. you uh, next week. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For coming on and Thanks. talking with us and sharing your lives and stories with us. Thank you, Sierra, and thank you, Marissa. Thanks for this yeah, thank you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.